Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Here we are at midweek and we appreciate you joining us letting us be part of your day always appreciate it hope you are safe and well coming up on our program today we will be talking about the the storms this week that moved through the midwest with dennis toddy he's director of usda's midwest climate hub we'll get his perspective on the storms and uh, kind of look at it from a historical sense as well as uh, try to assess the damage he's been one of those without power and many still are without power uh, throughout uh, parts of Iowa and into Illinois and Indiana and other states so we'll talk about that we're also going to talk about uh, that storm's impact on markets as we look at impact on crop production and moving forward we'll talk with Steve Nicholson analyst with Bravo AgriFinance and get his thoughts on that we'll talk about China's uh, purchases and where we are with that and what he sees moving forward now as we get ever closer to harvest and getting ever closer to a virtual farm progress show and Husker Harvest Days this year. We'll talk with Matt Youngman, events manager, events director for Farm Progress, and uh, we'll see how preparations are going for that virtual show coming up. But right now we have lots of CFAP News: The Coronavirus Food Assistance Program has been announced that additional commodities have been added to the list and the sign-up uh, deadline has been extended. So we have lots to talk about with the administrator of the Farm Service Agency, Richard Fordyce. He joins us now. Richard, thanks for being with us. Quite a few announcements that you've made on CFAP. Absolutely, Mike, and it is. It's good to be with you again this week. Um, so we did announce uh, yesterday, an additional 56 commodities plus nursery crops plus um, flowers, um, and and also as you mentioned, extended the deadline to September 11th uh, for producers to sign up for CFAP, um, and then also made the decision um, and made the announcement yesterday that we would uh, we go ahead and pay that that additional 20 percent. Um, those those payments were factored. Um, uh, folks that have already participated um, know that we factored that at 80%. So we are now um, going to go ahead and do that additional 20%. If a producer has already signed up, already has the application completed, was approved, has been paid, the 80%, they don't need to do anything. That, that, uh, that additional 20% uh, of that payment will go ahead and just be automatically sent to them. What's your figure now? How much have you sent out? So we are, Mike. We're 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 moving up um, a little over seven billion dollars. Um, is where we are um, today, and um, you know, continue to move up. We we know that certainly with the addition of these uh, new commodities that win the announcement, um, you know, that we'll we're going to see some new people. For example, you know, on the aquaculture side, a number of species: catfish, crawfish, and others. Um, you know, those are probably folks that have not uh, participated in the program in any in any form or fashion. Liquid eggs and frozen eggs, um, you know, probably brings in a new group of folks as well. Um, but we're you know we're working toward getting that um, you know getting up there closer to that sixteen billion dollar um, budgeted amount. 
I've asked you every week, and I know a lot of other people have raised the question, uh, why hasn't more gone out? Uh, is Are these uh, announcements that you just made, are they in response to that at all? Well, not really, Mike. Um, you know, and, and we talked about it on, on numerous occasions, but, you know, we... We used the NOFA process to gather additional information on commodities that we didn't have enough data on, um, and so over 1,700 submissions. And so, you know, our teams here at USDA went through all of those submissions, did the calculations, vetted that that data and that information that was submitted, and and that's that's solely how these were added. Um, you know, it was not not an attempt to get closer to the closer to the budgeted amount. Um, but just actually the, the commodities crops um, uh, that were impacted by COVID-19 in that first quarter of 2020. There have been reports in some states where producers have said they were not even aware of the CFAP program or what was available to them. Have you heard many uh, cases of that? So, you know, we have in some sectors, um, you know, even even prior to sign up, you know, we did we did a lot of outreach, um, you know, lots of um, you know lots of external affairs kind of interviews and those type things. Um, you know, we knew probably the the sector that would be least um, familiar with FSA and FSA programs probably were the specialty crop and maybe in some cases the livestock categories. And so we, we made a very, uh, a very strong, we had a very strong approach to outreach to those audiences. We, we partnered with AMS um, to talk to specialty crop growers. We, we conducted a number of webinars, um, not only with producers, but with groups that also represent producers. Um, and we've been, in con- we've been in contact with the organizations that represent those producers, even as, uh, as recent as yesterday. Um, to, you know, kind of put our heads together, work together um, to help amplify the message. So, um, so we're working with, with groups that represent, um, you know, those sectors probably more so and, and coming up maybe with some additional outreach plans. Uh, you know, I think that um, certainly, you know, from, from my perspective, you know, as a, as a farmer in the Midwest, you know, we're all pretty familiar when an when an announcement comes out from FSA about you know program sign up, program deadlines, those kind of things. You know, we we have an acreage reporting deadline. You know, we have different kind of program deadlines, and so we're kind of conditioned to do that. And 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 you know, we've got folks that are participating in CFAP that don't have that necessarily right. that historical knowledge. So we're working very hard to to reach just every single person that we can. Okay, real quick, Richard, uh, there, there's been talk and even announcement of possibly rolling over any leftover funds from CFAP. Do you anticipate with these new uh, uh, commodities that are eligible now and paying out the final 20% on the others, do you anticipate all $16 billion going out? So, you know, obviously we had estimates at the beginning. Um, the Office of the Chief Economist, um, you know, did the estimates on the on what kind of impact there was and how many dollars would go out, and, and that's how we came up with that $16 billion. You know, I think it's a little early right now to say for sure if we'll get there um, or not, but we're, you know, we're going to try to, we're going to try to get as close to that as we can, um, you know, with the, with the program that we're offering. And so I guess, I guess, Long answer may be made shorter. <laughs> we'll, we're going to try our best, and we'll just see where we, where we land. 
All right, Richard, thanks for the update. We'll talk again next week if you can if you can uh, work us in your schedule. We appreciate it. Uh, sounds great, Mike. Always good to visit with you. Thanks a lot. Richard Fordyce, FSA Administrator, with the latest on CFAP, the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. All right, up next, we'll talk with Dennis Toddy, Director of USDA's Midwest Climate Hub. We're going to talk about the, the storms that rolled through the Midwest this week and the damage uh, left in their wake. We'll talk about that and more coming up, and we'll get into markets and look ahead to the Virtual Farm Progress Show coming up soon. All that's still to come here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Stay with us. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So the storms that moved through the Midwest this week with up to 100 mile an hour winds or in excess of 100 mile an hour winds uh, in some cases, leaving crops flattened, uh, buildings damaged, and a lot of people without power still. One of those that was without power, but I think he has it back now, is Dennis Toddy, director of USDA's Midwest Climate Hub. Dennis, thanks for being with us. Uh, tell us about the situation where you are. Um, well, the situation where I am is we've we've gotten better in some places in our town. Uh, all of Ames was without electricity for um, at least part of the day, and then we're back up to about 80% now. I think in town, but there are still some parts of town, some of the older parts of town where you have bigger trees and power lines that were not buried as part of the problem there. Uh, still lots of people without electricity in, in chunks of, of Iowa. Um, I know the Cedar Rapids area is really bad too. From the ag side, definitely some, some very serious issues as you were, as you were alluding to in, in the intro there with the strong winds and, and wide uh, you know, big areas of Iowa that have some crop damage that we're still determining now. So we see and hear the term, the name derecho. Uh, tell us about that. Sure. Uh, a derecho actually uh, was first coined by the state climatologist of Iowa back in the late 1800s. He was at the University of Iowa. Um, but it, it kind of fell away and, and, and then became renewed back in the 1980s by some work in the 1980s. And uh, the, the definition of it basically re is referring to a long-lived, very strong wind event, straight-line wind event that moves over a great distance. Um, I don't remember what the distance specifically has to be. This one, I think the number was around 700 miles. Uh, the worst of the winds started kicking up in western Iowa, maybe a little bit of eastern Nebraska, southeast South Dakota. But the damage really started in, in, in earnest in western Iowa, moved across central Iowa, uh, northern Illinois, northern Indiana, and then kind of dissipated as it got to Ohio and communicating with my folks out there. Um, so, uh, you know, I, 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 I jokingly have coined it the Lincoln Highway derecho because if you follow U.S. 30, that was kind of the center of it, of where it happened all across the middle of the U.S. If we look back at uh, other similar events, other whether they were derechos or whatever they were called, uh, how does this compare to that one as far as the size, the length, the strength of it? It's, you know, that, that, 
the people are starting to dice the numbers now and then put them together and see, see how we're comparing uh, it. You know, it, some of the other ones have been worse in, in more structural, you know, tree damage or building damage. Um, this, it, you know, the area that this hit is, is the most climatologically uh, typical area for these to occur. We talked about, I think we talked about earlier this year, there was one of these occurred in, in the Northern Plains that came out of Colorado and moved up into the Northern Plains, which is a very unusual area for them. Um, this one may be fairly, it's certainly going to be high on the list from a crop standpoint, because what we're seeing in the way of crop damage is, is very extensive. Um, not hearing numbers yet out of Illinois and Indiana. So we're trying to get a handle on what's happening there. Uh, the number 10 million acres was tossed out in Iowa yesterday. Um, I, I think that number 10 million may be around acres affected. That is, it does not mean acres that have been uh, you know, removed from production. Uh, there are, you know, large number of acres that they're not going to be harvested because they are, they're snapped, they're done. Um, but I think a large number of these acres are tipped over, and we, you know, some of them we've started to see to rebound a little bit already, and I would expect to see more of that as we go along. So they'll still yield. We're just going to have some producers bothered by by trying to harvest them in the fall uh soybeans we've had some soybeans that tipped over they don't seem to be as affected right now we'll expect them to probably rebound some more and then also hearing livestock issues we've had uh, you know some livestock barns decimated uh and and you know and i, I haven't heard of mortalities on the livestock and then the other one that you've seen a lot on social media and reports of was damage to um uh, crop stru- or storage structures. A lot of arm farm storage, especially ones that were not filled, uh, were crumpled, um, and ones that were partially filled crumpled. And you see some 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 grain spilling out of them. So that could put a pinch on when we get around to harvest time, the places to store some of this because of that that, that storage capability. Yeah, the impact's going to be felt for quite some time. We're talking with Dennis Toddy, director of USDA's Midwest Climate Hub. Dennis. Uh, what are the conditions that that occur when to cause something like a derecho? Um, you're asking me a good question, and my severe weather chops are, are a little bit weaker than they used to be. Uh, you know, what, the, the derecho is, is like some other kinds of severe weather, but it, it, it's structured in such a way that, you know, unlike some thunderstorms, you know, the thunderstorm will build up, and then you, know, you get that cold blast of air and rain out of the thunderstorm, and then that kind of kills it off. The duration, on the other hand, is able to take advantage of, of you know, warm, moist conditions like a lot of other severe weather, but it is able to ingest that warm, moist air and keep it going in, into the storm in such a structure that it keeps feeding itself. And that's how it's able to progress and move uh, move along, keep feeding it, and keep its strength all along the way. That was the other thing about these, these is they tend to be very fast moving. Uh, this moved 50, 60 miles per hour across the state, uh, So, and, and it moved in, you know, in a very regular pattern. So once it got going, it was very easy to warn for because you could see the, the progression and give warnings out well ahead of time uh, to be aware of it. And that was the other, you, you mentioned some of the wind speeds of it, too, that um, these were – you know, I, I'm estimating around the Ames area was probably 80 
Uh, as you got into eastern Iowa, there were recorded ones over 100, 110 miles per hour. You know, that's getting into weaker tornado strength. So while there were not tornadoes, the damage was, you know, similar you would see from, from weaker end tornadoes. Mm-hmm. Uh what also struck me is, you know, there are a lot of negatives about social media, but the, one of the positives is you could actually, uh, you know, the message was going out on social media, it's coming your way, be careful, and we could also get a clearer picture of what happened uh, by some of the pictures that were posted. Yes, very much so. And, and, and you're right that social media has its downsides, but it also is able to tell the story. Probably one of the most telling ones was there was a picture out of, out of uh, near Scranton, Iowa, which is west of us, about 40, 50 miles. And there's a, 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 a farmer in his field, and uh, you can tell the crop's completely flattened because there's nothing in the field higher than his, 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 uh, um, than his calf. So, you know, that one was completely decimated. Uh, but, yeah, you're able to get a handle on what's, uh, you know, what's happening in different areas, the extent of the damage in different areas. So it is, a, it is a good way for us to be able to, to capture what's going on uh, fairly quickly and get, and get a, you know, and be able to focus in on some of those areas. There was also a great image shared by some of our folks who, who deal with satellites showed um, a satellite that passed over yesterday, which was the day after the storm, and was able to show very clearly where the crop damage was in Iowa, that there were actually three kind of separate areas where the strongest winds and the most crop damage was. It was all generally through central Iowa, west to east, but there were some areas that were more focused, and and, and, uh, you could see more damage done in certain areas than other ones. Almost hard to think back to just a few days ago now when some of those areas were were needing rain. Uh, Certainly didn't want anything like this, but they did need some rain. It, well, and, and the unfortunate aspect is they still do. Um, some of those same areas, you know, there there was rain that came along with it, but we're still only, you know, we, we had maybe an inch or an inch and a half in some areas, which is beneficial, but it still doesn't resolve some of the drought situations. Uh, we don't want to lose track of that. Iowa is still the epicenter of, of the drought in the Midwest, Iowa, eastern Nebraska, um, Dryness now is extending up into southern Minnesota and southeast Wisconsin and a little bit into Illinois. The eastern Corn Belt still is in pretty good shape. You know, they were bad for a while, and they've had some recent rains that have eased some of those issues. So we definitely have, have drought issues that are, that are ongoing, even if they didn't get hit by the, by, by the crop or by the, the derecho situation. So yeah. uh, hopefully we'll continue to get some rainfall and fix, you know, alleviate things, but the outlooks right now, especially eight to fourteen day, look like we're going to slide back into a drier pattern again. Yeah, kind of a double whammy. Got the damage, but didn't get much rain out of it. As you said, still needed precipitation. All right, Dennis, thank you very much. Appreciate your perspective. Thank you. Happy to do it. Take care, Mike. You too, Dennis Toddy, director of USDA's Midwest Climate Hub. So as we assess that crop damage, will that have an impact on the overall expected big crop this year? How much of an impact will it have? Will it be enough to impact markets, affect them one way or the other? We'll talk about that with Steve Nicholson with Bravo AgriFinance up next on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. 
Well, let's talk about the impact of derecho, the storms that moved through the Midwest this week as we look at the the potential of it affecting the markets one way or another. Steve Nicholson is with us, uh, analyst with Robo AgriFinance. Steve, thanks for being with us. We're looking at millions of acres that have been impacted. Now, some hopefully will recover or partially recover. Some we know won't. Uh, for those that are infected, of course, it's uh, it's really going to have a big impact on them. But overall, when we look at what was expected to be a huge crop and how the markets are looking at it, does it change that picture very much? Yeah, good morning, Mike. Yeah, we certainly, our hearts and prayers and thoughts go out to all those who were damaged or had damage from Dureco. And, I mean, you know, the good news is, I think there was only one life that I know lost in Adair County, Iowa, and that was actually a tornado, but was fawned out of this storm. So I, I certainly think about all those people. Um, you know, this is a really tough, as you well know, disasters, and you think about the floods of 2018, boy, it's really hard to see the impacts. And I think when, you know, and I was thinking about back to 18 and, you know, trying to think about the number of acres affected and, and what the impact would be and, you know, and it's like, wow, that's a lot. And then when it was all said and done, it was a lot less. And that's the really um, hard part. And it's like the old, it's like kind of the old saying. I mean, if if you had a disaster, it's 100% disaster. It's not, you know, it's not, you just had a partial disaster. And so that's kind of what's frustrating about this. But, you know, the markets, let's at least, let's at least talk about, I was just actually going through some numbers for Iowa. If you look at the 20 counties in Iowa, that were declared disaster areas and use them as the proxy to start, that represents, in the case of corn acres, about 2.8 million acres of corn, which is about 21% of Iowa's total acres. And this is based on 19 numbers because 20 acres or 20 numbers are still, I mean, we're, we've got them, but we're, they haven't published them all yet that I can find it just this quick moment. If you look at the total of corn production in 19 in Iowa, that represents a little about a little under 550 million bushels, again, about 21% of total production. So could you say that there's 500,000 bushels lost in Iowa? That would probably be a, a bit of an over-exaggeration because, as you, as you said in your question, um, some of this will come back, and I was talking to people in Iowa yesterday, and the pictures are just devastating. And they could tell – you could tell pretty quickly which – fields are going to come back. Some of them are already brown because they got snapped off when you look at corn, uh, but there are a lot of acres that were still still green, so they got snapped off, and they, you know, at this point, we'll know, you know, I would say, you know, this is Wednesday by the weekend, we'll know whether those whether those corn crop, you know, will, will gooseneck, gooseneck back up, and so that would be the good news, at least you save part of that crop. Uh, the bad news, of course, is people will tell you that is a heck of a time to get through with a combine. Mm-hmm. So, I've seen estimates 200 to 400,000 bushels impacted. You know, it, that's a really hard number to come with at this point until we get through. But, you know, let's turn to the market. I mean, the market yesterday and the market today on corn sort of kind of shrugged its shoulders and said, well, okay, we had we had a problem, uh, but we're, we don't see that as a big issue that we need, to, we need to put some risk back in this marketplace. I think it's, it's the same thing as we talk about often, if we were a billion bushel carryover, this would be a big deal. But the fact that we're a two and a half, three billion bushel carryover right now, uh, it is a you know it's not as big a deal because there's plenty of corn available to the marketplace. Um, so you know this is we're going to this is going to be a while to sort this out and see where we are. Um, 
but it will be interesting to see how much of this corn does gooseneck back up and you know and mm-hmm. kind of survive this. Well, you mentioned uh, floods in recent years, and I thought about that too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've basically even you look back at last year with all the number of uh, prevent plant acres. Yeah. it was like it was like Mother Nature's gave us a set aside program there, but yet it didn't really uh, <laughs> impact the markets. You know, didn't cause a big rally or anything for for the most part. Yeah. As you said, markets kind of shrugged it off, and it's kind of the same thing here, right? I mean, we have so, we have those huge stocks that you talked about, and still the prospects for a big crop this year even with this damage yeah that's the thing it's still prospects a good crop and you look about you know you still got you know let's say it's let's say it's 75 percent of the iowa crop is still we'll say okay we'll put that in quotes knowing that that may be quite right we know there's been some damage across northern illinois and i've had a chance to talk to folks over there yet um you know wisconsin eastern nebraska there was some damage there but you get across that north-central part of the state of Iowa, uh, still pretty good. Uh, there wasn't that much damage in that, in what do I call that, north-central, northwest part of the state. But you still have the issue of kind of that west-central Iowa area has been pretty dry all summer. And, and some folks have said it's worse than it was in 2012. So you've got that issue uh, going as well. And that probably for corn, it's probably a little bit, it's probably late, too late for corn in that area. Um, but you still got beans that could come snap back out of this. So, you know, it's it's just one of those years that you're just can we ever, can we catch a break? And I think farmers, you know, we said this a year ago. It's like farmers are just exhausted after fighting, you know, two wet falls and two wet springs, and now this happens in in across you know right in the middle of growing season, and you know farmers are just exhausted and just you know I, I'm going to say in some cases just overwhelmed like they just can't catch a break so and the market is like we just said markets sort of we're fine we don't have a problem we don't have a supply issue so we're talking with steve nicholson grain and oil seeds analyst for robo agrofinance steve i i think of the saying i've heard you know for years and years and years you got you got a crop that looks good out there and uh here we are you know about mid-august but yet the the old saying it's not in the bin yet well we were reminded of that this week, and then now, for some, there won't, they yeah. don't have the bins to put it in because the bins were damaged, too. That's right. I mean, that's the other thing. You've got bins, you've got, you've got elevators, co-ops, you know, all damaged, on-farm bins damaged. And so now the question becomes, do we have a storage issue? And, you know, I think there is going to be some local issues, as there always is. Uh, there will be more corn piled on the ground, which, of course, becomes quality issues. One of the things, though, in, in the last couple of years that farmers have, de- I won't say, have discovered or become a lot more comfortable with is bagging it. Um, and I think that will become a lot more prominent this year where we see people bagging corn, um, putting it out there and, and letting it be. And, I, and a lot of them will tell you they've had pretty good success with that. So I am I'm, I'm optimistic that we'll find places to put that corn um, and store it until it makes sense to, to move it to move it forward. So I'm not probably as concerned about that as some people are. It obviously is a problem um, for a lot of folks who have had damage. I think the other thing that is a little worrisome on the storage front is the drying capacity. You know, some of these big elevators and even some of the farm elevators, which are, you know, farm storage, have lost, lost, you know, drying capacity. You know, that's a real problem. If we don't have that drying capacity, then then you really exacerbate the uh, the the quality issues that you're going to have if you're storing it on the ground or, or storing it, you know, not in maybe optimal condition. So I think that's something we need to watch uh, a lot going forward here this fall too. 
Like you say, it's one thing after another. <laughs> Last yeah. year we were talking about did we have the propane that we needed. Now we might have the propane and not have uh, the the uh, drying <laughs> facilities that are, could use it. So, it's yeah, it's just one challenge yeah. after another. Well, what we'd like to see, of course, is that grain not have to go into storage but go into the export channels and other markets. But yep. uh, we know that's been a challenge, too, although China is still making purchases. Yeah, and I think that's the good news. I mean, we look at... And I think, you know, talk about corn and soybeans. You know, when you look at corn exports to China this year and looking at where we are today versus what we export generally, China generally takes a half to 2% of our total export goes to China. They're right on schedule this year so far. They're, you know, this 2020 calendar year, they're at 1.6%. So they're right on schedule, and, and I think that will be the case. Now, the other thing to think about with China on corn side is that you think about that in a coarse grain perspective. You know, so that means sorghum, you know, that could mean some barley, uh, that could mean some more feed wheat, that also could mean DDGs. And so all those, particularly DDGs, particularly corn and sorghum, would be good for the U.S. farmers. So I think we need to kind of, you know, broaden our perspective. Now, the bean side is just incredible, and I think beans are underpriced. And so I'm, I'm a little more friendly to the bean market than I am corn at this point. You know, you look at, you look at outstanding sales for the 2021 crop year, they are at all-time record levels. Um, 14, they're close to what happened in 14, but they're, they're above that still. China accounts for 58% of those outstanding sales for 2021. So there's a huge bean book on from the U.S. to China for next year. And so I think the market, you know, obviously to me the market's been a little bit, um, I hate to say slow, but hasn't really recognized that. Now, if you look at the cash market and look at basis levels, the Gulf is at numbers they haven't seen since 2014. So Gulf basis levels are really high. And so we're seeing good response in the cash market for those beans. And so I think beans is probably where the opportunity is going to be uh, a little bit of upside here uh, just because that demand for beans is going to be there from China next year. Will it rival the you know record highs we've had? I think that's yet to be decided. But that's where the opportunity is, and that's the bean market certainly is indicating that right now. Um, that we're going to see good bean exports from the U.S. to China. All right, Steve, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you. And no um, we'll we'll talk again. Uh, next time we talk, we'll talk yeah. about the WASDE numbers and some of those things and hopefully not yeah. another big weather event like we had uh, this week. But thanks for being oh, with us. I hope not. Thanks to be, yeah. Good to be with you. Take care, Mike. Be safe. You too. Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Rabo Agra Finance. All right. Well, the plans are underway for the uh, virtual Farm Progress Show, kind of a combination Farm Progress Show, Husker Harvest Days, big virtual event. We'll talk with uh, Farm Progress Events uh, Director Matt Youngman next, see how those plans are going, and uh, remind you again of how you can uh, take it all in. So stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. information america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams well we're getting closer to the first virtual farm progress show let's talk about it with matt youngman events manager for farm progress and matt we'll start with uh, the storm that moved through you tell me that uh, 
uh, it looks like you came through in pretty good shape, all things considered. Uh, it could have been a lot worse. Boy, it certainly could. You know, these pictures of, of what happened to Central Iowa keep rolling in, and it was it was just devastating. You know, we have uh, a sales rep in Marion, Iowa, and one of our landowners of our Boone site is also there in Marion, and, and you know, I've got friends in, a man, in the Amana colonies around Grinnell, and Grew up in Adel, so the, the one that blew down by Menburn, Iowa, is right next door. And, and we are very fortunate to have corn standing at all, let alone standing well enough that we're going to be able to record field demonstrations, harvest, you know, that new John Deere X9 running in the fields in there in Boone so that folks can uh, take a look at it on September 15th. All right, so let's talk about it. What you're going to be doing at the site in Boone, Iowa, and uh, how people will be seeing it then in the middle of September? That, that's a good question. So, you know, we have when we had to cancel the in-person events, which was a was a real disappointment. We we still had 400 acres of corn in Boone and and corn in Grand Island, Nebraska, and hay, hay in Grand Island, Nebraska, and great cattle handling facilities in, in Nebraska. So we, we rather than do individual online virtual shows, we're doing a merged event. So Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days merged together. So we're going to utilize the, the Grand Island facility and record all the hay tools and the cattle handling demonstrations. We're going to have a great virtual cattle handling demo with, with at least seven head shoots in that demo, running live cattle through them and and uh, Joe Jeffries doing the moderating like like folks have come to expect. And then we're also utilizing the facility there in Boone. Uh, that corn is going to be ready to go in time pretty soon here for us to record the demonstrations. And, you know, it, it there's kind of a delineation on, in our virtual event where every one of the hundreds of exhibitors will have kind of their own exhibit. It will be a virtual exhibit, but they'll have their own space where they can put up all of their own videos and, and brochures and those kind of things. But then we are also going to separately from that in the virtual event have field demonstrations. And much like you'd expect, the exhibit is the place where they get to put up all everything that the exhibitors want to say. But in the field demonstrations, the exhibitors have to come and compete head to head on our ground, on our crop, you know, all the same day. And so while they can't while the farmers can't actually be there to personally view it we're going to mount cameras all over these pieces of equipment typically we can't fly drones right down on top of the demonstrations because of the assembled crowd well we don't have that this year so we can get some amazing video of of these machines running through we're going to harvest we're going to run tillage and there's there's some new things that typically we can't do because of a crowd you know we can't run a rotary ditcher and fling dirt 100 100 yards but but now we can, and so we're going to have rotary ditchers and sprayers and spreaders and all kinds of things in the demos that typically we don't have. So that's probably the, the silver lining to this thing is that we can record demonstrations and give folks a view that otherwise they can't do, and they can go back and rewind it and access it all the way through July of next year. Yep, so basically you're going to do your field demos and uh, other uh, demonstrations that you would normally do at both Farm Progress and Husker Harvest Days, as well as uh, give your exhibitors a chance to have a virtual presence as well. Then you put all that together, and it'll be uh, available in in mid-September, and how will people be able to uh, access that? 
Yeah, so the registration actually just went live yesterday. So, so growers can now go in, and whether they typically go to farmprogressshow.com or huskerharvestdays.com, that's probably the easiest way to get there. There is a dedicated website for it, but but you don't need to worry about it. Just go to huskerharvestdays.com or farmprogressshow.com. It'll route you right to that virtual experience where you can get yourself registered. That way, as we add things, you know, we just added a big international component. We just locked in the fact that the DOT, the autonomous platform, is making its North American debut at the Farm Progress Virtual Experience. As we add those things, you'll get updates and get reminders of the things that go live on September 15th. And so we're going to record all this stuff in advance. It's all going to roll out September 15th, 16th, 17th. And then as it rolls out, according to a schedule on those three days, once something rolls out live, you'll always be able to go back and look at it again and share links with your friends or your banker or your wife or whoever you need to talk to about buying these things. So it's it'll kind of be something that's never been before, which is an online reference document, kind of a superstore with our hundreds of exhibitors and all this content and field demonstrations that you can you can not only utilize those three days, but you can utilize it throughout the year on your phone, on your tablet, on your laptop, on your desktop, however you however you want to you want to grab it and watch it. But they do need to get registered to be able to access it. Yes, so so if if you want to reach out and make contact with an exhibitor somehow as you're going through the process, um, at the beginning you're gonna give us your name and your zip code and your email address and that's all that you have to give us so that we can we can share that with an exhibitor if you elect to share that with an exhibitor. It's not gonna be shared with anybody else. You know, unless unless a grower wants to reach out. Um, there that you know, there it's a it's a very simple registration on purpose because we, we don't wanna gather any more information. It makes people nervous to give it away and so it it's a very simple registration. Um, you know, the upside there is that there's no charge to attend whatsoever. You're, you're going to get access to all this stuff at no charge at any point through the process. And they can view it at their convenience because we know sometimes there's a conflict, uh, either going to the show or being home doing their own harvesting. This year they can uh, choose what time they, they view all this. Yeah, I mean, I keep using this example, and, and, you know, people seem to kind of understand what I'm saying, but, you know, if, if it's the the 5th of November and you're sitting in line at the elevator and you're angry at your grain cart or you're angry at your corn head or, you know, whatever you're looking to change, you can pull it up right there on your phone. All right, Matt, good to talk with you. And we'll stay in touch as uh, we get closer and appreciate you keeping us updated on uh, your virtual show coming up September 15th, 16th, and 17th. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Mike. Appreciate it. All right, Farm Progress Events Director Matt Youngman. That wraps up for today. Be sure to join us tomorrow right here on AOA. AOA.